we continue a really short series uh, called This Is Us. It's just a moment for us to say as a church who we are and to go back to the basics. You see, it's so easy for any organization to lose its original vision. One of my favorite stories is uh, from London where they were having a problem. They had all the buses with the London Transit Authority, and, and they were running, and they were going all around town, but they had one big problem. They weren't stopping at the bus stops, and everybody was just being left there. And so finally, there's a big public protest, and the London Transit Authority issues the following infamous statement. We cannot run our buses on time if we're always having to stop and pick people up. <laughs> now, is that crazy or what? And yet we know any organization can go so far from what it's supposed to be that you don't even notice it. And a church is especially tempted to that. So I've been asking some of our coaches who've been bringing folks with them over the last few weeks, what does it mean to them to go back to the basics? Because that's what we're doing as a church right now. We're going to see the very basics of what it means to be a church. Listen to what the baseball coach, Patrick McCarthy, said from Faulkner. He said, there are basic fundamentals that have to be learned in order to have a great foundation. If you don't have basic skills, it's impossible to improve at baseball. Some people call it a luck when a player succeeds. We call it a reward, listen, earned through countless hours of consistent and persistent work and understanding the basic fundamentals of the game. Got a lot of baseball players with us today. That's what Coach McCarthy would say. Sometimes you just have to go back to the basics because you can't build off without that. And I loved uh, the women's basketball coach, Reed Sutton, was telling me the other day, when he thinks about going back to the basics, what he thinks about is getting a windshield wiper out and just allowing that windshield wiper just to go ahead and clear. Go ahead and click that next slide. Just go ahead and clear off the windshield. And, and, and the way Coach Sutton says it is that wiper works to clear it off for us so we can finally see Jesus. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I guarantee you there's a lot of stuff hitting your windshield. And today as a church, what we're trying to do is just clean it off so we can see Jesus clearly. So let me remind you of what Landmark's mission is. It's simply to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. It's Jesus' term to be a disciple. What it means is there's always a next step in you growing closer to Jesus. But we make no apologies that everything we do leads back to glorifying Jesus. And then our vision statement, how do we in this community fulfill this? We want to be a community that shows the love of Jesus to people experiencing life's struggles. How many of you is that true of? That's all of us. We all have struggles. And what was so cool about Jesus is the most messed up people were drawn to Jesus. The people that were drawn away from Jesus were the people who actually were religious and thought they had it together. And Jesus says, what I want to be about is bringing sick people to me. What I want my church to be about is bringing people who are struggling to a place where they can find healing. Now, both those statements are great statements, but lots of organizations have great statements. 
What I need to help me is a vision. What does this look like? And I want you to turn in your Bible, your phone, Acts 2, verse 42, where we're going to start studying. If you were to come to me today and say, buddy, you know, really love coming here at Landmark. What is your vision for this church? If, if you could say what you want Landmark to look like, what would you say? I would flip my Bible open. I would turn directly to Acts chapter 2. This is the first church. It's just exploded. And here's what it was like. Just buckle up and enjoy this description. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who might have need. Every day, they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And look at this last sentence. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. What's he saying? Every time someone becomes a Christian, they're added to the church. To be a part of the church is to be someone that is saved. Listen, guys, very bluntly. The Bible knows nothing of someone who's a Christian, a follower of Jesus, who's not a part of a church family. Why? Because God knew we needed each other, and we couldn't accomplish what God wants on our own. So just think back to these verses for a moment. I just want to think a moment about what they felt. Because when I read that passage, I think, man, man, I'd raise my, man, I'd like to be a part of a church like that. How about you? I mean, if I could draw it up, that's the way I'd like to be. And, And just think of what they felt, all these words. The word that really stands out to me over and over is they were together. Some of the words I really love here is they were in awe. Why? Because God's doing mighty things among them. I also love the word here, gladness. It literally means they were jumping with joy. It would be cool to be a part of a church where you're so excited, you jump with joy. And then that word on the bottom, unity. Man, they were united. They were sincere. The word sincere there, there means they didn't have pretense. We talked about this last week. God doesn't want us to be one of those fake churches where everybody walks in, acts like they're okay when they're not okay. These guys, there's nothing fake about it. Sometimes church is the most fake place on the planet. Church, the way Jesus wants it, is the most real place on the planet. And out of this, guys, there came this unity. One writer puts it this way. I love it. He says, this is the second miracle in the book of Acts. The first miracle was the transformation of 3,000 people who got baptized. We get fired up about 37. They had 3,000. That was a transformation. But the second miracle is you could bring all those people together, different ethnic backgrounds, different countries, and they could come together and be united. We hear every day our country is divided, and it is, because what needs to be the exception is the church of our Lord. And I want to warn us, we're about to have a political season come upon us, and Satan's going to do everything he can to get us at each other's throats. But if we want to show the world that we are really followers of Jesus, we will be united, because that truly is miraculous. Now, I love all those feelings. 
And I go, man, I want to feel that way when I walk in church. And if I can be honest with you right now, every time I walk in this place right now, man, there is something going on. I don't like it when preachers just brag about their church all the time. But right now, I just got to brag for a minute. Man, God, and I give God all the glory because we're not that good. God is doing some powerful things in this church right now. And I feel it every time I walk in these doors. But guys, here's what I want to say. If, if we're going to feel what they felt, we're going to have to do what they did. And in the first verse, look at verse 42 with me again. Here's what they did. In fact, if, if you want to say the back to the basics of a church, this is it. If, if you would like to name the four things any church should do all the time, this is it. What does it say? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everything else flowed from that first statement. That word devoted simply means they, sort of like Coach McCarthy said, they consistently persisted in doing these four things. One translation says the word devoted means this. This is where we get really practical. They gave their time to these four things. Let's talk about them just for a second. Number one was the apostles' teachings. Understand here, guys, when the church is first formed, they don't have a New Testament to go to. They can't open the Bible and say, we better do what the Bible says. But what they did have were the living, breathing apostles. And no one has had more authority except Jesus in the history of the church than the apostles. They were the foundation of the church. Now, what do we do today? Well, we now go to the New Testament. Now, when all the New Testament books have been written, and they're trying to decide, the church is, what is the canon of Scripture? What books are inspired and not inspired? The major litmus test were these books directly or indirectly influenced by the foundational men of the church, the apostles. Let me give you an example. Book of Matthew was written by an apostle understand it goes in. Mark, the second book, was not an apostle. But here's what we know. It was Peter who gave Mark what to write. So today, when we say we're going to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, it means that we're going to spend time in the New Testament learning what God wants to teach us. You remember last week we talked about the Great Commission? They were to make disciples, and then they were to continue to teach. Guys, none of us know it all. None of us understand it all. There will always be time for teaching. And so if we're going to be this kind of church, we've got to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Can I ask you right now, would anybody who watched your life say, you are devoted to what God has said? Number two was fellowship. Man, these guys just love being together. I mean, you can just read it. They got gladness, sincerity of heart. How much do they love getting together? Guys, this might freak our minds out. They're getting together every what? Did did y'all hear the passage? They're getting together how often? Did anybody in the back hear this? They're getting together what? Every day. We freak out at two or three times a week. Man, these guys just love being together. That's one thing I love about this church. You know, sometimes we get a little frustrated, those of us who are up here on stage, because when we try to start church, you guys don't pay any attention to us. You you just keep on talking. But, you know, honestly, that's a pretty good sign because we love being together. And when we leave, I'm telling you, man, they'll be here 30, 45 minutes an hour. 
Wednesday night I was upstairs, you know, with a group of guys just fellowshipping. And, you know, my, my friend, I called him stinking in first service, so I won't say it this time. My friend, Michael Jordan, came up there cutting the lights off. <laughs> I'm like, Michael, we're fellowshipping, man. This is what we're supposed to do. I love that about this church. It's not supposed to be a place you just slip in and out of. They fellowship. They got together. And more than in a church building, they did it in the most powerful place possible. They did it in homes. Guys, because listen, we're created for relationships. I know a lot of things have probably happened in your life, things have happened in my life that make me sometimes scared of relationships. But let me say this to you. You will never be fulfilled until you have some good spiritual friendships. Number three is the breaking of bread. It's mentioned twice in our passage, and I think in two different ways. In verse 47, when he says breaking bread in their homes, I think it's talking about a meal. That was a common way to talk about a meal. But in verse 42, in these four priorities, I think it was communion or the Lord's Supper. Twelve times in your New Testament, breaking of bread is symbolic of communion. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. And the fourth thing they were committed to is prayer. Guys, the apostles taught them what Jesus had taught them. Remember the apostles one day, they're watching Jesus, and they're like, oh, my goodness. Jesus, how do you do all these awesome things? How does everything change everywhere you go? And they watched close enough, and they figured this out. It was Jesus' prayer life. And so they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus taught them to pray. And now the apostles got this church going, and they're going, here's what we got to do, guys. We can't do this on our own. we got to pray. Statement I've made many times that convicts me. The most arrogant thing a man can do is to leave his house in the morning without praying. Let me, let me change that a little bit today. The most arrogant thing a church can do is dream and plan without praying. Man, these guys prayed. I still got this crazy dream that one day we can announce we're going to have a prayer meeting and all you guys would show up. Because I'm telling you guys, things happen when God's people pray. How well did this church learn it? Here's what we know from history. Jesus taught those apostles the Lord's Prayer. By the second century, Christians were praying the Lord's Prayer three times a day because they knew that was what power was. So, we can be a powerful church. We better be a praying church, not because we believe in prayer. Nope. It's because we believe in God and we talk to Him. So, I'd like to stop and I'd like us right now to, to actually do one of these priorities and that's what we talked about was breaking of bread. And let me just um, get a loaf of bread for a second to teach about this. You see, um, bread is so important for all of us. Bread, bread is what sustains us, okay? I mean, any culture you go to, they may make it in different forms. But everybody knows that bread is vital for your existence. It has been from the beginning. And so when they use this term breaking of bread, it has incredible significance. The first time it's mentioned in the Bible, it's when God gives Moses 12 loaves of bread and says, you need to eat of this on the Sabbath day. Now, one thing you'll notice, though, is they didn't use knives. It was against 
the Jewish Sabbath rules to use a knife because they thought that was work. And so what they did is they literally broke bread. And so when Jesus shows up and he's instituting what we call communion, the, the Bible says that Jesus said, this is my body given for you. And if you read 1 Corinthians 11, it said, Jesus then broke the bread and he prayed for him. You see, bread is so significant because it's what sustains us. Now, in the minute you got a little cup or you can go get a little cup that's got some juice in bottom and a little pitiful piece of bread. Sorry about that. But you, you can still crack it if you want to, okay? But in that day, man, they would have not had just some little thing of bread. They'd had bread. And when they took it together, what they're saying is, and what we're saying in the next moment is, God, feed us. We need to feed on Jesus and what he's done for us. We need to remember what Jesus did and actually who we are. I think it's pretty significant. In 1 Corinthians 10, 17, it says, we all partake of the one loaf. This is also a symbol of this miraculous unity we're talking about. Some of you may be familiar, there is a group of Christians that believes you can only take communion with one cup, okay? They take it quite literally. I try to avoid those kind of churches. I'd like to stay healthy, all right? But I think I might could make a bigger case that we take it from one loaf because this one loaf symbolizes not just our sustenance, but actually our unity, and so in just a moment, you have the opportunity after I pray, there are tables all around the worship center. You can go and get a little cup with your bread and your juice. And I want you to remember what this means, not just to what Jesus did for us, but what it says about who we are together. Because here's what Jesus did. He took the loaf, he broke it, and then he prayed. Let's pray together. Lord, as we take this bread, we remember that you are the bread of life. You feed our souls. You nourish our hearts. And you give us sustenance to run the race before us. As we break the bread, we feel the softness of your love for us. We smell the, smell the fragrance of the grace you release afresh every day. We thank you with all of our hearts for the great price you paid when you were crucified on that cross for us. Yet just as the yeast has caused this bread to rise, you rose again, triumphant over death as Lord of lords and King of kings forever, our beloved Savior. And as we drink this wine, we remember that you are the giver of life, that you are the giver of forgiveness that the only reason we can have peace and unity in our hearts and souls is because your love flows within us. So bless us today as we break the bread and we take this cup. We pray this in the name of the one who gave it all for us, Jesus Christ. Amen. We want to ask everybody to stand and make your way to one of the tables. Grab communion if you haven't already. Take it with well, let's just talk a few minutes about what our response to this picture is. I liked 
the prayer of the blind preacher. I love to watch our brother David Wright teach and the way he has it all out in Braille. And I love the story of this preacher that was preaching through the book of Acts. And he's, he's just going over the words in his Braille Bible. In the middle of it, he just, he just gets carried away. And he starts just putting his hand across the book of Acts over and over again. And he begins to pray a prayer. Lord, do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. He asked God to do it again. And my friends, that's what our dream as a church is, is that God would do this again. You say, oh, man, buddy, that sounds really nice, but no way that could happen in church this big. No way we could be that close. No way we could encourage each other that way. Listen to me. Guys, the church we just read about, we know it because the Bible says it, had 3,120 members. So we're a pretty itty-bitty church compared to that, all right? And yet they were able to do it. And I think there's a great key in the passage. What did they do? They met in the temple courts, and they met from house to house. What do you do if you got a 3,000-member church? You find a big public place where you can get everybody together and worship together, and then you divide into homes where you can love each other and take care of each other. And I'm telling you, that is still the way a healthy church functions. Because what happens here is awesome, man. I've enjoyed every moment this morning. But it's not sufficient. Because we all got issues. We all got problems. We all have needs. I love what my my brother Brian Smith said Wednesday night when we're meeting our small group. He said, guys, I need something between Sundays. I need people. And today, that's what we would say to you. If you're our guest today, or you've been a long-time member, that's why we work so hard to be a small group church. We would say boldly to you, we're not a church that just does small group. We are a small group church. Why? Because we think something happens house to house that doesn't happen in what we're doing here right now. So let me just give you a few things. I call this a place to share life. What do we do? First of all, we simply, we serve. We serve one another. How do we take care of each other? Guys, I can't know very much about what's going on in your life, looking in the back of your head this morning. But if I find myself in a living room or classroom with 10, 12 people, we can share life. I get really tickled. For years and years as a church, we had a moving ministry. And we had a couple of deacons that were named deacons in charge of moving. They're no longer here. They died, okay? I mean, every time somebody moved, those guys had to go do it. So if I was go, no, no, no. If you want to get moved in this church, let me just go and tell you. If in the next year you think you're moving somewhere, you better get in a small group or we're not helping you, okay? Because that is the way we do it. We serve each other. And I was in a life group a few years ago. We had a young couple that often got married. Antonio Hartwell and his wife's name was Nicole. And uh, we loved them. Uh, they only had one problem with their families is he was black and she was white. And so both of their families had rejected them. And they show up at our young marriage life group, and we're trying to love on them, and we find out they didn't have a real wedding. They went to the courthouse. They never had a reception. They just went out to eat, just them, no family. 
So our life crew decided one Sunday night, man, we were going to surprise Antonio and Nicole. And we put on a five-course meal and a beautiful wedding cake. And when they walked in, it was a great celebration. And God, that's what we do for each other. When we find out there's a need that needs to be met, it's just like that early church. We won't even sell what we've got to help somebody else. Second, it's a place to heal. Because most of us have hurts in our heart. And, and, and culture's taught us to cover those up. But let's listen to me, guys. When you are part of a group of people that knows the worst about you and still loves you, that is when real healing begins. And I'm not saying you got to go to a group and you got to pour out the worst, deepest, darkest secrets. What I'm telling you is we all need a place where we can talk and not be judged. And then apply. You know, one thing we do in our small groups, our life group model, is whatever I preach about on Sunday morning, like tonight, groups will go and they will discuss what we talked about this morning. You notice I didn't use the word critique, okay? <laughs> Can someone say Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Okay. They go into, in other words, we've looked at this great passage today. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to forget it by Tuesday and be on to the next sermon. But we believe there's a place where you don't just need more information. You need application where you're going to go and say, how could we be more like this church by the power of God? The R stands for relate. We all need relationships. Because the church is no good that doesn't allow you to build spiritual friendships. Now, this is a hard thing for us. George Gallup says, Americans are the loneliest people in the world. Despite all of our blessings and all of our things, we're rather lonely. I could go through all kinds of reasons that's true. I just want to hit on one today. And it... um. It's crazy. It's really ironic because it ought to build more. It's your cell phone. Okay? The ironic thing is your cell phone keeps you connected with more people than you ever could be connected with. But psychologists say what most relationships are experiencing today is what they call alone togetherness. You're together physically in the same space, but you're alone. You ever been to a restaurant lately and they've got a waiting room? Used to be you'd walk in those rooms, everybody's talking. Now you're walking, what? Everybody's on their phone. And so we experience alone togetherness. One university studied this and called it this. Here was the title of the study. My life has become a distraction from my cell phone. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? There's even a word for it. Fubbing, you ever heard of that? Is that am I saying that right? Have I ever heard that before? It, 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 you guys are so slow. When I used the word dripping the other day, y'all didn't know that either. Okay, but, 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 um, <laughs> but, but, but fubbing is a word used to take the word snubbing. We know when someone snubs you, all right? Now what we do, we don't snub them, we fub them. We are so focused on our phone that we don't pay attention to the people around us. I'll tell you what we're doing in our life group. You're going to turn your phone into the door when you walk in in a basket. Why? Because we want there to be a place where you and I can focus and build relationships with each other. The truth about we got a lot of new folks in here today. Here's what statistics say. If in your six months, first six months at Landmark, if you will just make six new friends, 
100% of you will stay here. If within your first six months at Landmark, you make zero new friends, almost 100% of you will leave. And so we work hard to find a place where you can make friends. And and then finally, the E is for evangelism. That's an old-fashioned word. But this is a whole different way to reach people for Christ. Our Lord said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. What is it? How you love one another. What I want is my non-Christian friend, my non-believing friend to come and see you can have real honest relationships. You can even admit your problems and still be loved. And they experience community like is impossible anywhere else in our culture. And they wonder why, and we tell them it's Jesus. So, a few months ago, as we ended our last cycle of small groups, we, we took a survey. And uh, one, one really encouraging thing from that small group survey was that the majority of you, vast majority of you that are in a, what we call a life group or an ABC group or a support group, were very satisfied with your group. We had a lot of folks say, I love my group. I wouldn't want anything to change. We did get some really good ideas that we're working on to improve groups. But there was one question that was really intriguing to me. We asked those of you that aren't in a group, why aren't you in a group? And I really appreciate your honesty. Let me give you the top three answers. Why aren't you in a group? Number one, this makes sense, I'm new to Landmark. Okay? I mean, you're just new. And and you hadn't had the time to find a group. Now, can I go to three right now? Number three is similar. Number three is, I don't know how to get in a group. All right? Let me go ahead and give you number two, since I can't get to number three. Number two is, this was so honest, I'm just lazy. Now, I can put one and three together, all right? If you're new here, gotcha. And honestly, we've not made it so clear. Now, you can go out to the information center, and we'll give you a list of all 40, well, we increased today to 42. All 42 small groups we have, you can find that list. It'll give you addresses and phone numbers. We found most folks don't use that. You, you could go to Landmark's website, and you could search for a life group by neighborhood or by age. And that's not seeming to work real well. What we figured out is somewhere you need a face-to-face interaction. Guys, if you're one of our small group leaders today, before you walk out of this place, there's a lot of new people in there. Invite them to your small group. And what we're going to do, mark this on your calendar, September the 10th, We're going to have, after both services, all of our small group leaders and tables across the foyer and down that hall with a sign about their group, and we're going to give you an opportunity to go face-to-face and talk to somebody about being a group because we want to remove problems one and three. And you need to remove, if it's true of you, problem two. And I just love that because, you know, sometimes, you know, we just need to be honest and say we're lazy. I get so tired of people saying, well, I don't do this, I don't do that, because that's just legalism. Listen to me, guys. Legalism is not obedience unless you think your salvation is based on your obedience. Sometimes we just need to be honest enough to say, I'm just lazy. That's all right. We've all been lazy about certain things. And my challenge for you today is for you to make a decision. Here's where we're reshuffling everything, that this is the time you're going to put yourself out. Because I'm not saying this is always easy, but I don't apologize that it's not easy. 
you wouldn't treat your work, you wouldn't treat your ball team, you wouldn't treat a social club the way sometimes we treat church. Because you know your ball team will not be successful unless you put some effort in it. And you know that your job won't be successful unless you actually work hard. And here's the crazy thing, guys. Our church will not be successful unless we're willing to be devoted to the same things this church was devoted to. I, I love that word. Because we love this picture. I mean, I, I, I think I could read this passage ten times. And I could say, is there anybody in here that disagrees with this? Anybody who thinks the church shouldn't be this way, we'd all go, no, man, that's right. That's the way the church is supposed to be. Okay, good. We love the picture, but here's the question, guys. Are we devoted to it? Do we have the dedication, the persistence, the consistency to go back to basics and say, we may not do everything well, but we're going to do these four things really, really well. One thing I love about what we did this morning, one thing I love about our fellowship, I can promise you this, we are going to take communion every Sunday because it's one of the basic building blocks of any church. It reminds us of who we are. And my friends, we're going to, we're going to develop this kind of fellowship on a weekly basis. I was reading a story this week that really inspired me. Uh, you probably are familiar with how terrible, oppressive the country of North Korea is. And um, worst place in the face of the earth. And there was this young, this couple, and the man became a Christian, and they were put in a forced concentration camp, and he died. The wife had not become a Christian. She escaped the camp. She got in China. She met some Christians, and she became a Christian. But the North Koreans had tracked her down in China, kidnapped her, and bring her back to that camp. Well, if you claimed to be a Christian or worship God, you'd be killed. Listen to what this woman did. She started a small church with some other women in the only place on the camp where you could get by with it, the latrine. It smelled so bad, it was so awful, they knew the officers would not come in there, and so they would walk in there, and they would take communion silently together, and they would sing very low and share scriptures because they knew they needed each other. And my friends, sometimes I think we are so spoiled in America that we forget what people across the world do so they can fellowship together. We avoid it sometimes like it's the plague when it could be the greatest blessing of your life. And I'm going to ask one more question, and I'm going to be quiet. I've been looking at this passage all week long, and my question is, why were they so devoted? Why? What would, I mean, we're, we're seeing the after material. Why were they so devoted? Listen closely to me. I think I'm going to make this plain. They were so devoted because they had fallen in love with Jesus. They had been in Acts chapter 2 where the preacher got up and said, a few days ago, you made a mistake. You screamed for the crucifixion of the Son of God. He died for you. He resurrected for you. And now, listen, he wants to be your Savior. And they go, that's crazy. We killed him. They go, it's true. And 3,000 people on the spot are baptized. Why do they have this kind of church? Why are they willing to sacrifice? Why are they committed? Because they love Jesus. 
And while we can be it, I'm telling you guys, I can sit up here and tell you all the things I want to, and it's not going to work unless we fall in love with Jesus. You go a couple chapters over in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, everybody's recognized, these guys are on fire. What's going on with these guys? We knew these guys before. They're just really not that good. And then even the heathen said, I'll tell you what happened. These men have been with Jesus. And my friends, man, if we'll fall in love with Jesus, everything I'm talking about today will be easy because we not only want to be saved by Jesus, we want to be the very united body of Jesus. And so today, if you're ready to be baptized like these people because you love Jesus, come on, we'll do it. If, if, if today you've you got some struggles in your life, that's what this church is about. Come let us pray about it. Today, if honestly, you're just being honest, you've just become spiritually lazy. Come confess it and let's pray for you. Because I'm telling you guys, when we let the windshield wiper out and we start to clear the windshield of all the junk and we can finally simply see Jesus. Nothing will hold us back. If we can help you, come right now while we stand and sing.